0: What number is this, Chip? Zilch 166, Monkeys News. And we need to talk about Monkeys Chow Mein. <laughs> okay, you know I mean? like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I know. Zilch. Zilch.
1: You're listening to Zilch, a Monkeys podcast.
0: Welcome back to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today, and today I'm joined by the button queen herself, Christine Carlson-Wolf. Hi,
2: Ken. How are you?
0: I'm doing okay. Cannot complain. You know, I took a little bit of time off this year from podcasting and uh, getting ready to fire up the podcast again and the pop show. Uh, the cheap talk show, the cheap trick show is doing really good right now because they just have a really great new album out, Cheap Trick in Another World. If you like Cheap Trick, check it out. But I, I you know, I, I thought that it, this would kind of be a, a slow news time, right? But no, no, no. The Monkees and Andrew Sandoval had other plans, right?
2: <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to take a break.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the Mafia. They keep pulling me in. They keep pulling me in
2: monkey mafia for you there you go
0: Mm -hmm. well let's dive into this monkey's news let's check it out so we have some tour news and it's not just tour news but it's a farewell tour news
2: that's right you know the tour that had been the mike and mickey tour at the tail end of 2019 and and into the beginning of 2020 as we all know got postponed um, they tried to reschedule it a few times and then the world shut down and uh, now they have reannounced tour dates and they've rebranded the tour it is now the monkeys farewell tour um, so not only are most of the original dates in the original venues um, being, rescheduled and 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 uh the tickets that people had being honored but they are adding new dates all the time uh as of our recording they've just announced four additional dates and i see that uh that andrew is teasing that four more dates are going to be announced on um may 17 which is just a couple of days from now So we have the new dates that we know so far, September 10 in Spokane, Washington at the First Interstate Center for the Arts, November 3rd in Northfield, Ohio at the MGM Northfield Center, that's Center Stage, they call it, November 5th in Rosemont, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago at the Rosemont Theater, and November 7th in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the State Theater. They've also been warning that there are a handful of shows that are very close to selling out. So if you are eyeing any of these, jump on it quick. The near sellout dates are October 7 in Knoxville, Tennessee, October 15 in Biloxi, Mississippi, October 22nd in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, October 24th in New York City at the Town Hall. October 28 in Huntington, New York, October 30 in Medford, Mass, and November 1st in Greenburg, Pennsylvania. So that's pretty exciting. We've got seven near sellout dates already.
0: Yes, it's uh, it's great news and this looks like this is it folks. And you know, along with a monkey's tour comes the question of Zilch buttons. People have been asking, on the Facebook page and on Twitter, are we going to do buttons this year? So I'm coming to you as Christine, the button queen. What are your thoughts?
2: I, not only have they, the requests been coming in on the socials, but I've been getting PMs from folks uh, who have been my button ambassadors in the past saying, you know, I'll do it again. Here's the shows that I'm going to be at. Uh, so I've... I've been giving a lot of thought to it, and we've got to do it, right? I I think that the demand is there. It is, uh, for all intents and purposes, this is it. And this is it for the shows. I know we've all been there before with uh, hearing that this is the last go-round, but I think this is really the last go-round, and so we've got to do it. So, Ken, if you and I can uh, come up with a pretty cool design, and I, I know that you're able to do that, we're going to put out announcements for people who want to volunteer to help us being button ambassadors again for the tour. So, watch the socials, watch uh, the show notes for this episode. We'll, uh, we'll link and give everybody the opportunity to either volunteer Or at least know which shows we're going to have some buttons for.
0: Mm -hmm. So, if you are interested, contact the Button Queen herself. And I know that there are a lot of people that are going to say, well, you're not giving me all the dates. Well, we're hoping to have Andrew Sandoval come on the show. So, keep your little monkey hearts crossed and your monkey fingers crossed. And hopefully that'll happen. He's intending to come on the show, but... I know that he wanted to get some of his monkeys in line first. I would say ducks in line.
2: Monkeys are harder to get in line.
0: Too. Yeah, you have to corral them. You get them in a barrel. All of the puns, you know. A
2: black box.
0: All the puns. So, <laughs>
2: That's right. in in a nutshell, what we do know is that as of now, the tour is spanning from September ten all the way through November 14. We know that's going to be a hard end date that November 14 is in LA at the Greek theater. That is the, the grand finale.
0: Speaking of which. (laughs) That was just at the right time. Okay. So the grand finale. (laughs)
2: So uh, so that's the, that's the grand finale in their hometown. Um, so you can you can pretty much guarantee that uh, that nothing else will happen after that date. But there are um, pockets of open times uh, throughout the, the remainder, the, somewhere in the middle of, of that span. So uh, you know, if if we're being told that new dates are going to be added even just next week, there could be more folks.
0: And, Christine, I know that some of the shows have been shuffled around a bit or rescheduled, right?
2: Yeah, there have been one or two. Um, Just because of scheduling issues, uh, you know, not every venue was able to hold a date or be ready to open up again. Uh, and, and one such case is the Nashville show at the Shimmerhorn theater. Uh, the Shimmerhorn is still not, uh, opening up for any, any concert dates. So that show is, uh, being rescheduled. We don't yet know when, uh, that may be one of the four that are coming on the 17th, but, uh, we we do know that there will be a Nashville show, and uh, if you had tickets to the Shimmerhorn, you're going to have to uh, go back to the point of purchase and request a refund.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Just be aware that if you are wanting to be at the Nashville show, you're going to have to wait for the new date, get new tickets, and, and get your current tickets refunded.
0: Mm-hmm and you know you mentioned Nashville we have to say that we're going to be at the Nashville Rock and Pot Expo in in August and there'll be details if you're in there if 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 you are in Nashville or at that time come and, come come on down and say hi to us and of course when in Nashville always check out the wind down Nashville with John Billings and his lovely wife Amy Billings it's a really cool place to maybe get a bite to eat and Get a little a little drink of some some sort right it's a it's a great place, and there's a lot of cool monkey content on the walls too
2: oh yeah, there is you know John is of course the bassist for the monkeys he's got a lot of his a lot of his instruments hanging on the wall but he's also a really good photographer and so he's got a lot of his photos uh and monkey memorabilia uh that are that are decorating the walls at wine down and i know that speaking of that nashville show uh, John has already kind of been putting it out there that uh, he's hoping that there can be a fan gathering at Wine Down Nashville whenever the Nashville show is finally um, announced.
0: We recommend it highly. We love the Billings, John and Amy and their whole family. Great people. Just great people.
3: Yep, absolutely.
2: So... You know that Zulch will always have uh, the most up-to-date information, and uh, so you can you can come to our socials and check it out and get all the latest in tour news. Agreed. So on that note, I I do have to say, you know, we've talked about new dates added. We've talked about near sellout dates. I'm just going to put it out there that the November 9th date in St. Louis or St. Charles, as it's listed on the on the tour schedule. That is going to be the Midwest show to be at, in my humble opinion. Not only is that my hometown, but it is uh, where the Zilch staff, most of us, I think, are going to congregate and we're going to be together at that show. We always have a grand time. Uh, we've got a group of zilchers who have already gotten their tickets and we're planning to meet up. And, uh, you know, just I, like I've said, uh, there is no party like a zilch party on a Tuesday night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we look forward to seeing everybody. If this is If this is really it,
2: And we think it is.
0: Yeah, then maybe it's a good time, and I hope to have a good time one way or another, and it'll be nice to do it one more time, right?
2: Wrong band.
0: Well. (laughs) The youth of America are depending on us. (laughs) And the senior citizens. Um, (laughs) And we have some big news coming up this Saturday, right? Yeah,
2: Zilch's own Tim Powers has been tapped to host a listening party co branded with 7A Records uh, for the Dolan's Sings Nesmith album that is going to be released here in just a few days. So, on May 15 at 1 p.m. Central Time, that's here in the good old US of A, on Facebook, they're doing a listening party. They're going to play uh, snippets of every song on the album. We've all heard a few. Now Now we're going to get samples of every track. And Tim is going to have a few special guests, including Mickey Dolenz and Christian Nesmith.
0: Mm-hmm. So Mickey Dolenz and Christian will be dropping by with Tim Powers on the mic, as only he can. Uh, do it, and it's gonna be fun. it's gonna be fantastic and if you can't catch it live, we're hoping that it'll be able to be rebroadcast right, like a lot of Facebook lives, so
3: that would be great.
0: Keep your monkey paws crossed, right? See, I changed it from monkey fingers to monkey paws, so
2: you're so clever,
0: no, not really,
2: <laughs> like most Facebook live things uh there is a cap it's it's capped at the first 100 people who who get in so we're gonna link to uh to the event page uh in the show notes so that if you're interested you can be on it and uh, and try to jump on and be a part of it
0: and in other monkeys news
2: why are you playing taps Kim?
0: Well, because something really cool happened, and something really sad happened, and it all depends on how you look at it, right? Uh, for a few glorious weeks, the monkeys were in widescreen high-def on Tubi, the app Tubi. The, uh, if you have a Roku, or you can see it on your computer, or some sort of streaming device, you could get Tubi. Well, it turns out that they were showing the Monkeys a new spread among Monkeys fans and it was so cool to see the Monkeys alive and vibrant and new looking in the widescreen format and I know that there's a lot of Monkeys TV purists who would shake their fingers and wag their finger at me and say naughty uh, Monkeys fan Ken but the thing is is that it it looks so now Seriously, they look so great. They looked wonderful. Um, I love seeing them in the widescreen thing. And I, I have the Blu-ray set, and I, I love them as they are. But I also now want this version, right? It's almost kind of like when they put out yet another different version of Daydream Believer or All the King's Horses or something. I want that different variation now. So they've now created a problem that I now have to get the widescreen versions, right? And as it turns out, I guess for whatever reason, Tubi didn't have the actual license to air the show, right? And it was both seasons. Uh, I believe Andrew Sandoval put a tweet out about it, correct? Correct.
2: Yeah, he did. He said that fortunately, uh, Tubi was operating without a license, and that Rhino was going to um, tell them to take it down. And apparently, that has now happened, right?
0: I think he said something in the tweet like uh, "Enjoy it while you can," right?
2: Yes, he did. He enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, yep. there you go. Did I binged it, man? Oh man, I I I I sat for a weekend and just. like i'm i thought i would be you know doing my housework while i was walking around and and i'd watch and no i i just sat (laughs) because it looked so good Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know 60 inch wide beautiful gorgeous color and uh uh, for those of us who are lucky to have the the blu-ray sets we you know we all know how gorgeous those remastered prints are well these were the same thing they were just also then remastered to be put into that widescreen ratio so we know that exists mm-hmm. we know that there is uh, an appetite for the monkeys show every generation seems to find them and so uh, uh, you know an app like Tubi, you know whatever me tv youtube there's there's an opportunity there
0: i think netflix hulu whoever however but the thing is is like we now are at a point where you literally rhino i imagine and though i don't know all the ins and outs of things i know that some people are putting content on youtube right and you would think that it would be nothing to put like a commercial At the beginning of the show, advertising that you can buy monkeys music or whatever, or that the monkeys are on tour or whatever it would be. And then one at the end and you put it up on YouTube and basically people are paying for it through the ads. It would seem like that would be a way to get it into the hands of the next generation now. And I think if they put it up like one every week or something like that, they could make it a thing again. And... you know even if the show gets put on Netflix or whatever, it would be all done in one shot, right? But if you dole it out once a week, maybe it could be a thing where young people are like looking forward to the next the next new episode, if you will, because to a lot of pe- when you think about it, every generation of fans basically came because of the t v show and I know that we look at the music as the big thing a lot of the time, but I think a lot of that was because when the t v show wasn't available, we still had the music right.
2: That's right. I mean, albums, once they're out there, they're, they're out there. People own them. People play them. People, they, they, uh, can find them in, whether at the time it's, uh, on the, on the new vinyl or the new cassette back in the eighties or, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or a resale shop, what have you. The, the music has always been a little more readily available.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Yeah. So. But the but the TV show is really where it started.
0: And it, it always regenerates from that. I mean, you take a look at the renaissance of the monkeys, if you will, the rebirth of the monkeys in the 80s. That happened because of this thing called MTV, and right now, the MTV of our times is really YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. So it went yeah. from my TV, you know, give me music, television, MTV, my TV, it's now YouTube TV. So... <laughs> And you basically can decide when you want to watch what you want. I think that they could even just go direct to the audience that way. But there's something about seeing it on the big wide screen that was like, kind of like a new thing for me. So I want to be able to purchase that as well. So anyway.
2: Yeah. Oh, I. Love to have a digital download of the episodes in that widescreen version. I would love to, you know, it's kind of like uh, hearing a, your favorite song on the radio too. It's you know you catch it in the wild.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You
2: know, it, it's it's one thing to own it and to be able to say, oh, I think I'm going to sit down and, and do this. And but but to just stumble upon it, uh, like we did on Tubi. I mean, that was like, ah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was great. So we hope that. You know, maybe they can figure out a way to do something with YouTube, or even since Tubi can do it, it would only help Tubi to do this up proper and legally license it, if you will. But that's for a problem for people other than us to decide today. But it seems like there's a future generation just waiting for your product. So there you go. Now, today on the show, we are going to have a kind of a different look at the Monkeys TV show. And we have Sarah Clark and Roseanne Welsh, that is the Monkeys 101 team. They're going to be here today, but they're not doing your standard Monkeys 101 episode. Today they're going to be looking at Monkeys Chow Main. As a matter of fact, they call this segment We Need to Talk About Monkeys Chow Main. And this is not the kind of episode where you look at each beat of the episode and here's this joke happened and this happened. They're going to talk about the making of this show and what was going on culturally at the time, where we were, where we are, and hopefully where we want to be, right?
2: Yeah, they're giving some context, which is important always when you're talking about uh, a show that's now 50 years old. Um, But it's, you know, the, the monkeys were always topical. Uh, it was. It's interesting. You know, they they were they were of their time and topical, yet without being ever particularly stale uh, and and dated, with maybe this one exception. And they but they're going to get into that. Mm. I think it's a really good discussion. I'm I'm a big pop culture junkie and a a, a sociology nerd, and so I'm really I really enjoy this segment.
0: Well, here is Monkeys 101 with We Need to Talk About, Monkeys Chow Mein, as they look at the monkeys and their place in pop culture.
2: Class! Class! It's Monkeys 101!
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Monkeys 101. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Sarah Clark.
3: And I'm Dr. Roseanne Welch.
1: Uh, excellent to be here today. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently today because, um, we need to talk about Monkey Chow Ming. Yes, we do. Yes, um, we try to keep things light here at Zilch and on Monkeys 101. Uh, we also try to keep things in perspective and not judge 1960s media by the standards of 2021. But we also don't want to gloss over the rare but real instances in which the monkeys didn't live up to the standards they set for themselves in their music, their TV, or their other media. And we definitely don't want to ignore the moments this groundbreaking TV show actually fell short of other TV that was coming out around the same time. In fact, let's do a quick comparison and contrast of three television shows that debuted in the 1966-1967 television season. First up, we've got episode 10 of The Green Hornet, airing on November 18th of 1966. Organized Crime's protection boss, Duke Slate, decides it's time to acquire the city's Chinatown district, and uses Lo Sing's tongue to handle his influence. Lo Sing, a martial arts professional, instructs his craft to uh, the gang using the actions of a caged praying mantis, analogizing its intricate moves to proper kung fu application. After a kidnapping which Lo Sing engineers, a challenge between Lo Sing and Kato, played by the amazing Bruce Lee, is inevitable.
0: Kato? Yeah? Talk to Mary Chang. See if she knows where Jimmy Key might be hiding.
2: You know, if we ever meet up with that masked kung fu man again, I want him. You got him.
1: We see many of the best known Asian actors of the day playing on both the heroic and villainous sides of this story. And there is a superb fight scene between Bruce Lee and the amazing Mako's stunt double, renowned martial artist and stunt performer and choreographer Dan Innocento. Next up, we have one of, in my opinion, one of the best episodes of the first season of Star Trek The Original Series, The Naked Time, airing September 29th of 1966, in which a mysterious infection lowers the crew's inhibitions, causing, among other things, Lieutenant Sulu to embrace his fencing hobby at a new, deeper, and shirtless level. Stag! No father... (laughs)
3: No escape for you. You either leave this bois bloodied
0: or with my blood on your swords.
1: Cowards! As George Takei might say himself these days, oh my. (laughs) <laughs> and finally, from March 13th, 1967, and filmed in January 1967, months after either of those first two episodes aired, we have this television offering with Joey Foreman as Dragon Man. <laughs>
2: The master has Toto returned with the boy. Better yet, Master, the boy has come to us. He is outside in the restaurant. So he has fallen into
1: my crutches. Your crutches, not my crutches. My crutches.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, which they almost completely stole from Get Smart.
1: Uh, yes, I found the episode in question when I was digging through. <laughs> not the claw, the craw. Uh, in fairness. Japanese actor Kei Shimatsu was cast as Chinese gangster Chang, but his only lines were asking Peter for his order before Toto clocked him on the head. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Zilch Nation, we need to talk about Monkey Shiaomane. No, yellow-faced and hackney jokes about accents are not up there with a, you know, mass shooting in three Asian massage studios, nor is it up there with Asian people being beaten up, spat on, and accused of spreading coronavirus. Nor with politicians using terms like the China virus and Kung Flu to score points. But the that fact is exactly right. But the fact remains that a show so devoted to the 60s ethics of love and understanding, and which was progressive about issues of race and gender, more often than not, didn't see any issue in the slightest about releasing an episode like Monkey Chow Main at really near the peak of their pop cultural influence. So I guess the questions that Roseanne and I want to explore were, what does that tell us about pop culture in 1966, life in 2021, and and kind of all the issues in between?
3: I think the number one issue we're talking about is that representation matters. If people are not going to be in their own lives exposed to people with different ideas, then television and film, the media, are the places where they meet those other people. And if these are the only impressions they are given, then they are not being given a complete picture. And that skews how people feel about other people. And my son will tell you that video games do a much better job about this these days in making sure there are many and varied characters because, sadly, it boils down to money, and they want more people to buy their games, so they want more people to feel at home inside them. TV didn't have to worry about that in the broadcast era of the 60s and 70s because that was all you had. That was the only game in town. You were yep. going to watch it because you only had and you only had four or five or six channels. You didn't have 500. So if this is what people are seeing, it does affect how they feel. And I feel that that is worth discussing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I know this all comes from a context, um, especially on the West Coast of Asian immigration, Asian assimilation or lack of ins- assimilation. As we all know, the U.S., like in many areas, has sort of a, um, a, a checkered history in this area, which we'll say delicately. And, you know, things were at an interesting place by the mid 60s, I know.
3: Very true. And in many ways, it's so interesting, because we can trace Chinese immigration into, you know, pre the 1830s. And I, my grandparents were, were Italian immigrants in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So, so my people came here later, right? I mean, if yeah. I'm really thinking about it that way, there were some Italians I actually wrote a book about a guy named Filippo Mazzé, who wrote um, things with Thomas Jefferson, but that's a whole other story. There were not many Italians until the 1920s. And so the Chinese have this ownership of this country they helped build it we know about the railroads right? that's where they moved after the gold rush
1: mm-hmm. and we know
3: a little bit about the gold rush but if we really think about it there's a great book that i use in class called the roaring camp the social world or the california gold rush and it looks at the vast diversity of people because we have to think about when gold was found you know we don't have a telegraph we don't have anything really to tell people on the east coast so we have to get on boats and we still don't have the Panama Canal. So we're going to go all the way down South America, right, and then all the way back up. And yep. in that travel, we're going to meet all the folks, right, in Chile and Argentina. All those folks are going to come on, get on another boat right away and get here long before the folks in New York do, right? That's why they're they're 49ers and not 48ers, which mm-hmm. is when the gold is found. So we get Australians and we get Chinese. We get everybody in the gold rush to begin you know, they're, they're founding time in this country. And, and yeah, they've been here a lot longer than my people. So I don't know what the problem.
1: Yep. Craziness. A little bit. And you
3: know, part of it is the assimilation thing. I always have to say, I don't look as much like my grandparents. I don't look like an immigrant the way they did. Yeah. obviously don't have an accent because my mother was born here and so was I. Um, and there was never, well, there was a time when people weren't pleased with Italians um, and there were the, the famous, you know, no dagos or dogs allowed. Mm-hmm. We could fit in, right? Yeah. You and, could pass. And we do. Yeah. We could pass. Exactly. Um, and so we never had an Italian exclusion act the way there was a Chinese exclusion act. And that dates way back to 1882, for God's sake. So our attitudes have not improved in many ways for a lot of years.
1: Yep. Very true, unfortunately. I mean, but by the 60s, we were sort of at this point where, and you can see it in some of the pop culture that, as mentioned, that was not Monkey Chow Main. You can see uh, more interest around um, diversity and sort of representations of Asian people that are starting to get beyond the stereotypes. I mean, yes, Bruce Lee is doing martial arts, but he's also – and actually reasonably fully realized, playing a fully realized character, even if it was, was only for the one season. And and Sulu, my goodness, that, that has become an iconic role. And he has, you know, been appearing in, you know, subsequent films and projects for 50 years since then. So
3: Exactly. And very respectfully, right? Mm-hmm. But that's also, actors have to take that sometimes. It's very difficult. They have to choose which parts they take, you know, and they have to pay the rent. So you get to a position where can you turn things down for too long? I, I like to tell students, um, CCH Pounder, who's yeah. actually from Africa, um, and was an immigrant and came to, to work as an actress. She's going to end up on the shield, right? People know her from that. She was on Warehouse 13. She's been a lot of things. First job she got when she was offered, you know, in, in California, in, in the states was always crack moms in some law drama where she's right. a drug addict and whatnot and whatnot. And she actually told her agent, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to take any part that's like that. And she didn't work for like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was an opening on, I think it was LA law for a judge. And the agent called and said, Hey, can she, you know, can she try out for that? And the casting director actually, and we're talking, you know, this is the nineties. They said, are there any black lady judges? And they literally found a list of how many there were in the country to prove that they could have her do that. And from that point on, she always played quote unquote respectable characters. But that's hard
1: if you have to pay the rent. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, there, there are many stories about that. And I mean, ultimately that's kind of what happened with Bruce Lee is, you know, yes, Cato was a pretty good role for the day, but he had struggles finding anything else because, you know, he wasn't about to, to let himself be cast like that. And he actually had options because, you know, as you and I were talking, we were prepared for this. He was a, even before his LA time, he was a legit star in Hong Kong. I mean, he was headlining movies over there. So at a certain point, he just packed up and went back home. And, you know, fortunately, we got into the dragon out of that. But uh
3: exactly, exactly. But that's kind of ridiculous in a country that's built by immigrants and full of immigrants that we should have this confusion about someone's ability to be a star in that sort of vehicle, and to play the full three dimensionality of their particular ancestry and culture and community.
1: Yeah, yeah. And in a, in a show where, you know, maybe earlier this season, we've got black people playing like a police inspector. I, I mean, that's the thing that always puzzled me about this specific episode is we've got a good track record with this same creative crew actually making, you know, intelligent writing and casting decisions around these things. I mean, I wouldn't call them, you know, groundbreaking in the way Star Trek was, but they're, they're, they're certainly, on the sides of the angels most times that issues of gender and ethnicity come up. Not always, but often. And and I guess... I sometimes find myself wondering and and I know you have have some insight on this because of, you know, all the research you've done over the years. How did they get this episode so wrong?
3: <laughs> it's it's embarrassing and you know, in researching it, it re- I I knew that it was officially Gerald Gardner and Dee Caruso who were essentially the showrunners, so that word was not much in use then, um who wrote this episode and then when I was looking back at it, I realized, "Oh goodness, it was co-written Mm -hmm. by Paul Mazurski and Larry Tucker, our guys who wrote the pilot. And they're going to go on to do some groundbreaking 70s independent film. So it's almost like we have one foot in the pre-60s leftover vaudeville. Anything that's been a joke for a 100 years is still fair game. And wow, we're going to break some conventions and show some really interesting new stuff. Like Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore it's going to be this groundbreaking look at a single mother. Right? And how she's going to struggle in this country with all the misogyny and whatnot going on at that time. So it's amazing that these two, these four guys did both of these things. And, and I sadly put it off to the laziness of, Oh my gosh, we have to get another episode out. I can't think of anything to do right now. We have this idea we used on Get Smart two years ago. Let's rehash it because it was funny and it doesn't take a lot of work. And I know. That writers do that because you do get very busy in a writer's room. Um, We often tell the joke: you can tell writers are getting tired when the episode a show does the amnesia episode. (laughs) Yes, yes, oh no, 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 no! That's don't go there, don't go there. Um, But you get tired when you're doing that many a year, and I honestly think that's what happened to them. And I feel bad that it stays forever on film as this embarrassment.
1: Yeah, and um, I actually went back because I I heard but couldn't remember the details that this had been kind of pulled from an old episode of uh, Get Smart, and so I did, dug into IMDb, and I found that there were several episodes that featured a character named uh, Harry Hu, who, who was a private detective that, that worked with, you know, with uh, Agent Maxwell, and... He appeared in a few different episodes, and he, of course, was played by Joey Foreman, who also played <laughs> played our Dragon Man. Um, Which, of course, happens a lot, too. Producers
3: get to know actors, and they want to reuse them. Well, um, yes. And at that time, they weren't thinking about casting in that way. They were thinking about, hey, I know this guy, and he needs a buck, and he needs to make his insurance for his SAG card. And he was funny in the last episode, so why not do it again?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he does, he does good work in, in the, you know, in, in kind of his roles as various first season nemeses. I mean, he's awesome as Captain Crocodile, but this is <laughs> just, I mean, ugh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And,
3: and to, it, to think that Captain, that they're the same actor is very like, ugh. and, and, you know, there was the con- concept actors would say, well, it's my job to become many different people, right? Uh-huh. Lon Chaney is famous in the early days for doing what was then and is now still called Yellowface. And it was considered excellent that he could create his own makeup and become these other characters. And that's that's something we're growing out of. We want actors like Meryl Streep to be many things, but she generally is always a woman who looks like Meryl Streep with a little bit of maybe prosthetics if she's going to be Margaret Thatcher or Julia Child. right? Right. But we don't want her to play someone who is such a complete different heritage than Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah it's you know yeah especially when you've got perfectly qualified amazing actors like bruce lee running around i mean i you know i found myself thinking in this episode many times when i when i watched it when i was kind of old enough to sort of appreciate the the issues with it wouldn't that have been a fun episode with like you know mako or key luke as dragon man and and yeah bruce lee is chang let's get him in there you know Exactly.
3: So, but partially they didn't have time to be creative like that. Um, and partially their brain wasn't in that place.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, these, these scripts, you forget. It, I mean, this script was written less than two months, you know, just, just very shortly before it was recorded and then aired. And they were, they did 36 episodes in the first season while their leads were spending all evening recording albums. Slash exactly. going on tour. So it's not like they had, I mean, I, I, I do sort of empathize because it's not like they had just tons of time for like reshoots or, um, you know, table reads, reads here, you know? And,
3: and let's face it, your gatekeepers, the people who approved these things were at the studio and they were all white guys who yep. had, who had enjoyed this humor in their younger years and didn't find any question in it. They didn't have anyone on their staff. Who could question it, right? So that speaks to the necess- necessity of getting a diversity of executives. And we're, we're doing that in these modern days, right? We're getting more and more people from all kinds of backgrounds who are development executives who are, you know, running networks and all of that. But none of these guys existed then. They, the door wasn't open to them. So their perspective could not be given.
1: Yeah. That's a very good way to put it is just we weren't that far down the road yet. We weren't thinking of these things.
3: You know, it's, it's, um, I can equate this to a lot of the early women screenwriters. They'll tell stories like Frances Goodrich, who wrote The Wonderful Life, and she wrote the Thin Man series and all these wonderful things. And she wrote both the play and the film of the Dyer Van Frank with her husband, Albert Hackett, beautiful team of writers. Mm -hmm. Um, she has a quote that I use often in my classes. She says, I'm, I've often been the only woman in the room, so it's up to me to make sure the girl does what a girl should do and doesn't do anything essentially embarrassing. Right. So even there, you only had the one woman in the room to try to speak to women wouldn't behave like that. And that was a new thing to have that much say in something. So yeesh, we've been there are a lot of doors that have been broken down slowly, slowly, slowly.
1: Yep. Very true. Very true. We're getting there. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, and it's just, this episode is just hard for me because um I liked this episode as a kid. If you'd asked me in the 80s, when I was 10 years old, what my favorite Monkeys episodes were, I would probably have had Monkey Chow Mein in my top five, just because the bright side of it being so based in the, you know, vaudeville borscht belt tradition is that it you know it is an excellent example of the joke 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 you know punchline. and then when i got a little older and had watched some mash i thought it was you know <laughs> hilarious that you know mike farrell had you know B- B- <laughs> bj honeycutt must have just gone into the cia after after, Korea after, after the
3: korean war exactly
1: <laughs> you know but and
3: then, also you're i was gonna oh, i didn't go ahead interrupt. go ahead i was gonna say you're you're demonstrating the the changes in television allowed audiences to see more reality and then hopefully to demand it. It's also part of the audience's job by virtue of what we support and don't support. And when we write letters and don't write letters to see the changes we want. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's a good way to put it. And because, you know, even, you know, even by the eighties, we were doing better than the sixties. I don't think a show like that could have come out exactly like that in the eighties, but, but, you know, I, like everybody else, was, was, yes, raised on recent stuff, but old stuff like, you know, the monkeys and 50s TV shows and old, you know, Tom and Jerry cartoons and all of it, some of which was awesome. Some of it was a little unfortunate, you know?
3: Yeah, embarrassing. It was embarrassing, embarrassing and, and insulting. But if you weren't in the room to say that you were insulted, they could say that they didn't know that. And largely, I would guess they didn't. They didn't have, even in their own friend circles, people who could sort of ask them, why did you do an episode like that? What were you thinking? And they go, oh my gosh, I wasn't thinking. And I'm sorry. Yeah, and And I'm sure
1: that would be the answer. If we got Gardner and Carissa here and, you know, we're growing about it, they, they would say, which I'm sure was the truth, we didn't mean anything bad by it. We just didn't think about it. And it was, you know, it, It wasn't Star Trek. It wasn't the Green Hornet, which had, you know, an an Asian American cast as, you know, one of the main roles. It was just, you know, it was just we had to get a script out that week and we remembered, you know, this episode of get smart which had come out about a year prior and you know it's like okay we can change no not the craw the claw to no not the crutches my crutches and you know it'll be it'll be awesome
3: so they were essentially plagiarizing themselves which is also a whole nother you'll see writers if you follow writers as opposed to following (laughs) actors you'll notice sometimes when they get a new show there'll be an episode you're like wait a minute they did that concept a different legal show. uh Oh, you were on that show, and you're just recycling it for these characters. I get it, and that's another example of tired, lazy writing, and or not sometimes not respecting the audience enough to know that they follow you and they are fans in that way, and that they will notice these
1: things. Yeah, because I guess in '66 they could they figured oh we can make essentially this the same lame. You know, ha-ha, ching-chong, bang the gongs at the Chinese restaurant and make lots of jokes about, you know, L's and R's in Get Smart. And then a year later in an episode of The Monkeys, and nobody's going to connect the dots. And yes, exactly. you, you put it very well when you said it was lazy. That was kind of a, you know, angle I hadn't really thought about. But it wasn't malicious. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't, you know, the worst thing that ever happened. It was just... It was lazy. And the problem is, even with the grueling recording, you know, film schedule they had, especially that first year, they generally weren't lazy. And I think that's part of why this sticks out. That's
3: true, too. And, you know, it's so difficult to get into concept of intentionality because obviously something can be unintended and still harmful. Absolutely. And so at what point is a person then responsible for that um, that harm being put out in the world. And, and obviously then in reruns being continued over and over again, that gets to be such a, you know, a difficult topic to talk about. And that's what we're trying to do. And I think the important Mm -hmm. thing is in many ways, in many, over many issues, it's about the conversation and it's about people coming together to consider these things.
1: Which is why we felt like it was important to have this episode now to discuss it and to discuss it out of the context of our usual hey we're gonna make you know snarky meta jokes about mike nesmith or you know whatever is is going on in the episode this week we we kind of wanted to explore this a little bit outside of the format because um you know melanie mitchell my good friend former co-host of zilch uh, she wrote a excellent book, Monkey Magic. We talk about it a lot yes. of times on the show, the the first real episode guide for the monkeys. And she gave Monkey Chow Mein a failing grade. It was the only episode she gave a failing grade to. And she said that, she said either in the book or somewhere else when she was writing about it that she really she really kind of struggled about that this because she saw the strengths of the episode just as we've discussed them, and she also discussed saw this you know, kind of dark, unpleasant side. And she said what decided her was if this had been a show where the actors were white people in blackface instead of in yellowface, would it still be getting aired in syndication today?
3: Perfect question.
1: And she knew there was no way. And so that was what pushed her over the line to give it a failing grade.
3: True. And the thing is what we're we're learning and um and attempting to share is that being PhDs, we got a chance to be exposed to even more education than is often offered, certainly in K through twelve and even in undergrad world. And then we're such a country based on regionality. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio originally, uh and moved out to California, as you know, to be a TV writer. And I remember going to the LA fair, right, and seeing all the kids' projects and of course the animals, and that's a huge fair. And there were all these missions. Kids used to build missions out of toothpicks and popsicle sticks. And I couldn't figure out why public school kids were studying Catholic stuff. I was Mm -hmm. like, about the Catholic school job until someone explained to me I had no idea about the mission system in California. I'd never studied that as a kid in Ohio. I didn't study California history, obviously. And on top of that, which suits our conversation, I had never as a child studied the Japanese internment because it didn't happen in Ohio.
1: Yeah, and that blows my mind, Um, but it really shouldn't, because I grew up in Oklahoma, and I, even growing up in Oklahoma, I didn't know about the Tulsa Race Massacre until I was in college in the 90s. We didn't get, it. it is taught by state law in K-12 now, but it wasn't when I was coming up. And, you know, that's part of it, these things too, talk about representation. We also need to represent these histories in these ways that we have you know, where we came from and where we're hopefully learning to do better, even if it's sometimes painful and sometimes two steps forward, one step back. And I guess I don't know. Um this is a podcast about a very white band mm-hmm. put together by very white people on both the music and um TV side of things with, let us be frank, a very white fandom. And I think that, you know, I don't think that we need to go around flagellating ourselves about every least little thing. I'm not saying that, but I do think we need to be intelligent and intentional and look at the ways where things went wrong in the past, how they've gone better, um, and also where we maybe have have given this thing, a pass where maybe we wouldn't if it were another show and not, you know, these cute guys, we all had crushes on when we were 12.
3: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's a big argument about lots of movies. Should they be shown? Should they not be shown? Uh, Turner Classic Movies, TCM. Uh, has recently done a series of panels Mm -hmm. about some of the old classics and how they should be dealt with. And, you know, in their world, you know, they're talking about something like Gone with the Wind. And then a a major um, African-American director like John Singleton came out and said, don't bury the movies, but show them in context. Have a conversation. Explain what was the attitude of the time they were made and what they were referencing. And let's then relook at what may still be good and what we need to know should not have been done so that we can appreciate a thing. And that's really all we're trying to do, you know, with this particular tiny little episode is figure it out. I think I said the other day on the phone, we're not trying to excuse it. There's nothing wrong with giving an explanation and knowing that hopefully no one will fall into that trap again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And, and again, it stands out because as I said, this is very, Unusual for the monkeys. I mean, they're not perfect, you know, there's son of a gypsy, which is gonna be its own little cringy moment when we get there. Um, you know, and, and there have been things, I mean, we talked a little bit about, uh, some of the, you know, I don't know, quite anti-Italian, but definitely iffy stuff in, um, you know, yeah, yeah, monkeys a la carte and, and Mm -hmm. there are bits and bobs with that through the series, but, This is the most egregious, and it touches on things that are going on in our world, you know, in 2021, and yes, we mostly try to stay out of the real world, because we know that, you know, most people listening to the see, listening to Zilch and think about the monkeys as an escape from the real world. Heaven knows I do, but just like every so often, the monkeys would, you know, be a minute short, and they would you know, get up and talk to Bob Rafelson about, you know, the Sunset Strip riots or whatever was worrying them in the culture or, you know, would write topical songs like Daily Nightly. Occasionally we're gonna have things like this. And and I figure it's better that we um we talk about them face out, and and not drag it a, a, a out, not beat ourselves up, not talk it to death, but just say, you know, this is part of it. I guess this is sort of the equivalent of what they're doing with Gone the, Gone with the Wind. This is sort of our viewers' um, not advisory, but um, discussion panel.
3: Yeah. I, and I think that's only fair, right? I mean, it's 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 only fair because understanding those things, I was shocked that I had never been taught about the Japanese internment. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe. And, and you know, again, my grandparents came here from Sicily, and I love the United States. I'm really happy they came. But what I try to see is I try to see that we make a mistake, because everyone does and every country does, yep. and we attempt to do better after that. We have attempted. You know, there were reparations, even though it was never enough. There were reparations, and, and you have to be able to do that to move forward in the world. So that's all we're trying to do is say, hey, you know what if it, if it never occurred to you that there were some people who might watch this episode and feel bad about themselves, now you know, and now you can think about it. And, and also, when I talk about writing, since that's my big, huge, mm-hmm. you know, bang the drum thing, I want writers to do better. I yeah. want writers to be more creative in what is funny. Um, I don't want them to fall back on stupid things. Like we briefly talked about this the other day. You can find online. I, I adored Schitt's Creek. I thought it was brilliant. Um, so inclusive, right? Uh-huh. So many interesting and fun characters, but they were called on the carpet for one episode in their whole like six or seven years. I don't know how long they ran. Um, that had to do with a runaway dog who got killed by the parents on the show. And they went to the family to, uh, to apologize and say, you know, can we help in some way? only to discover the joke of the episode was that the dog belonged to this very heavyset, older, young woman. And it was all about watching this woman cry that was supposed to be funny. And the writers came out and said, you know what? I can't even believe we did that in 2019 or 18, Uh whatever it was. It was lazy. We fell back on a thing we knew had been funny in the past and did not stop to question why it should still be funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a few episodes of 101 ago, I think I said something about when you know better, you do better, and yes. I actually bumped into that quote, uh and I want to give it citation now because I know who said it. It was Maya Angelou. Wow. Yeah, because I, I actually bumped into it again when I was doing research for this piece. And and that is so much of why we're having this conversation today and why we have Monkeys 101 in general. But, um, you know, I thought it was important to cite who that had come from because that's just an amazing bit of wisdom that I've used a lot. So. Oh,
3: and I'll tell you what, if people have ever read her, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, her first memoir, I used that in classes teaching the Japanese internment because I didn't know, but she grew up in the district in San Francisco that had been largely Japanese. And after the internment, the houses all had to be sold cheap. So it turned into an African-American neighborhood because it was the only place folks could have enough money to buy a house. And so she was raised there not knowing, but but seeing one community move out while another moved in and not understanding the trauma Mm -hmm. of why it was possible, right, for someone else to suddenly own a home. And it's an amazing, like four paragraphs inside one of the chapters yeah. that really highlight it from the you know the point of view of a nine year old African American.
1: Yeah, I haven't read that book since I think high school. I need to really revisit it, especially because I yeah I I totally forgotten about that particular passage until you mentioned it. And uh yeah, great book. So there we go. We've we've come away with a book recommendation. We try to do those most episodes. Oh, there's <laughs> it's just, a bunch of good yeah, there's tons yeah, of good books. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so with all of this said, and with discussion of how this came to be, and the context it was, and the various, you know, tropes, the the yellow face, the silliness, the stereotypes, how are we going to handle Monkey Chow Mane 101 when it comes up?
3: (laughs) Well, obviously, we can talk about the actor's true pasts. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can talk about the music that was chosen for that episode because that's always interesting to us. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, the, the background of those writers and where they went afterwards. Um, because we want to see that they grew. Um, we, that's everybody's job is to grow and do better as we get older and, and be better at all the things between our, our careers, whether that's writing or acting and our like humanity, which is what it's all about. And uh, like you said earlier, I love what you said. The show was doing so many progressively interesting things, discussing teenagers in a way they had not really been discussed or respected, you know, such that Davey mm-hmm. could talk about being, you know, under 21 and therefore not taken seriously. And we would be shocked at that now because 18 year olds can vote, right? And they couldn't yeah. back then. So we have grown in that way where we um, give more attention to their ideas and their thoughts as a group, as a demographic, if you will. So I see the growth and I see the change, um, and I respect that. And it is always interesting to think what would happen if they made such a show today. It's about, it's about respect and
1: research. Yes. Yeah. Very true. So that's kind of our plan is, you know, we're going to talk about kind of the usual stuff. But when it comes time to actually dig into the episode, you know, we may talk a little bit about the monkey men bit or things like that. But we're mostly going to refer both folks back to this episode and conversation because, you know, although we hope that this kind of challenging moment for um, Asian Americans in the US right now, we hope that, you know, is not as much a thing and I don't know at the pace we're going it's probably going to be about a year till we get to them and to monkey chow main in the rotation which is why we decided to do this now um but um you know hopefully this won't be as relevant but I think that the broader point we're trying to say is that your faves can be problematic that doesn't mean that they can't be your favorite anymore but it means you have to Well, at least in the case of the monkeys, I think it is fair to hold them to the ethical standard that they put forth in the art that they created.
3: Oh, that's beautifully well said. Yes, indeed. I'm sure, you know, if we had a chance to sit down and talk to the writers, sadly, who have all passed, Mm -hmm. it would be a really interesting conversation. They've watched their industry grow and change in so many ways. And and it's also interesting from a sort of a fan fiction standpoint. Imagine instead of monkey chow main, there had been an episode simply where one of the boys was dating a Japanese girl and her parents didn't want him for some reason. He's a musician. He's a band kid. He didn't go to college, whatever those reasons, that would be a really interesting episode, you know, to, to see that would have been a, a nice story with its own inherent real conflict
1: mm-hmm. written by so, yeah, treva silverman
3: there you go treva there you go because she's going to do innovative things when she gets to mary tyler moore um yeah so it's always it, it's that's it if they had the time and they sat down what could they have done um, with a different mindset and you know we see hopefully more of that today obviously elementary decided to bring in Joan Watson right mm-hmm. and hired Lucy Liu. so now we have this unique and interesting portrayal that never existed in the whole Sherlock Holmes realm before yeah I've checked out on Netflix there's a new thing called The Irregulars
1: I've been getting uh, adverts for it I haven't watched it yet I've, I've got to get through Schitt's Creek first now <laughs> <laughs> but I know. So many- yes, I, you do. Is I think bad? I'm the last person who hasn't seen Chit Creek yet. But. <laughs> yeah. I'll do that. Well, and then, yes, i will get to tackle the Irregulars because it sounds awesome. So it's pretty fun. And it is. A, it's
3: a diverse set of young street kids who end up helping Watson deal with a situation. Um, and it's a an Englishman of African descent who plays Watson. And that's a phrase I learned. Literally, I was writing about Doctor Who and Martha for an mm-hmm. English publication. And I realized I couldn't describe her as African American because she's not American. <laughs> exactly. And they said, Oh yeah, they were doing an Englishman of African descent. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and that's respectable too, trying yeah. to make sure people have the phrases and the way that they would like to be referenced in public in the same way a woman doesn't necessarily want to be called a girl when she's over the age of 18, much less <clears throat> 50. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. <laughs> <laughs> There are many ways in which we are we are attempting to be more respectful of all the folks around us.
1: Yes, very true. And I think that's a great pla a great note to end this on. We don't want to talk this to death, but we felt like it was kind of a timely thing to bring up right now. And um, you know, I, I know that this is a uncomfortable topic to discuss for a lot of people listening. Um I hope that our listeners kept an open mind through this. Um, you know, I, we don't ever expect everybody to agree with us entirely. Um, but, you know, I I would just invite everybody here to put your, put, to try to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes watching this episode or, you know, other things around the monkey's world and, and figure out how we can truly make this an inclusive as a inclusive and welcoming and awesome community for everybody who, uh, who, who's uh, fans of our crazy little band. So, well, let's
3: face it. You and I came together, even though you're, you're a Nez girl and I'm a Mickey girl. So if we can get over that, that's all we (laughs) need to know. And your monkey fandom, which boy is yours. That's fine. If we get past that, that personal choice, then we can all be friends.
1: Yep. Very true. (laughs) Okay. Well, next time you hear our voices, we will most likely be doing, uh, a normal episode. Uh, next up in the rotation is One Man Shy, which I'm really looking forward to. It is still one of my favorite episodes and it definitely holds up, uh, very well. Um, you know, we've got, uh, got a, got a wonderful, uh, girl standing up to her, uh, stuffy, uh, stuffy boyfriend and, you know, hanging out with Peter, which is as it should be. Good choice. <laughs> yes. Okay. So thank you everybody and we'll see you next time on Monkeys 101. Take
3: care and be safe.
1: Once upon a time in 1967, there were four boys who went on a mind-blowing adventure, and they captured it all on film. When the World and I Were Young, snapshots from the collection of Davy Jones is the story of the monkeys' 1967 summer tour, told through more than 80 never-before-seen images of the monkeys and their friends, including Stephen Stills, Jan Berry, Henry Diltz, and the Jimi Hendrix Experience. When the World and I Were Young is the first project from Along Came Jones Media. Available now at Amazon.com.
0: From 7A Records, Davy Jones live in Japan. Featuring both of Davy's officially released Japanese concert albums. 1981's Live in Japan and 1982's Hello Davey. Unavailable for years, these digitally remastered albums sound better than ever. Available in two formats, the two CD one DVD set contains a whopping 22 bonus tracks and a detailed 24 page color booklet featuring previously unreleased photographs, liner notes and recollections from Japanese fans I be here.
1: Like the, groupers, by me, like the, waves
0: the DVD contains Davy's concert Hello Davy, which has only ever been previously released on Laserdisc in the Far East. The three LP colored vinyl gatefold edition posts 16 bonus tracks and includes a 28-page brochure with a replica of Davy Jones's Japanese tour program, unavailable anywhere else. Produced in conjunction with the Jones family, Davy Jones live in Japan, order yours today. Well, there we are. That is another episode of Zilch in the Books. We hope you enjoyed listening today. We hope you enjoyed this really cool discussion from Sarah and Roseanne. And we've got a farewell tour coming up. We've got Mickey Dolan's new album, Dolan Sings Nesmith. It's an interesting time. That, but then it's been that way since Zilch started, right? It's always been something interesting is going on.
2: That's right. We we say it all the time. Just when we think there's nothing left to talk about, there's more to talk about. They're pulling you back in onto the mic, Ken. That's really <laughs> uh, that's really their agenda. I'm sure of it.
0: Well. <laughs> We just want you to know that we look forward to seeing you on the Farewell Tour, and we look forward to seeing what the monkeys fandom is going to do, all the great zilch get-togethers. And it's it's going to be fun, and it's going to be special. And uh, maybe if you want, you might want to get one of our zilch face masks or our Be a Hero mask, which has the M on the logo from the monkeys Men shirt. You want to be careful, right?
2: yeah i I know for sure that I'm going to be sporting one over my n ninety five um because let's face it this was a scary year and it was some pretty serious stuff and we love each other and we want to protect each other we want to protect the guys on the stage mm-hmm. we just want to um enjoy our time together but do it safely and responsibly get your shots get a mask come to st louis <laughs> we'd love to see you at the at the st louis show uh where where the majority of the Zilch staff are going to attend so but gra- get a sh- get to a show wherever you can honestly this is probably the last time guys
0: mhm it'll be neat to someday look back and hopefully we'll be able to, like, be going through a drawer and you find, like, a mask. And you'll go, hey, remember these?
2: <laughs> Wouldn't that be something?
0: hmm It would. So be good to one another, care for one another, love one another. Because we were born to love one another, right?
2: Something we all need.
0: That's right. All right. We'll, we'll see you all in the next episode of Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. So I see you, Christine.
2: See ya, Christine. And
1: that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit Monkeys audio fancy made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the Monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.